0: Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host,
1: Tim Sawhook. Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I'm very excited to have you back for another episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. As always, I am your host, Tim Sawhook, and I have a great episode to bring you guys today. First, let me thank you guys so much for such a great outpouring for our first episode of Season 2 featuring Candice Wilson. Her story was one of grief, and it was tough to hear at some certain points, but it sure did offer hope and encouragement for people you know, who are going through something like that and are really looking for that hope, that extra chance to make a difference on the other side of the pain. And Candace's story really highlighted that, and I couldn't be more happy that she was able to come on and share that story. So thank you guys for the great outpouring. Uh, the wonderful comments, and for people reaching out to Candace on Facebook. Uh, I know she appreciated it, and so do I. I would like to encourage you guys to still go out and maybe leave a review on iTunes if you're liking the show and helps to get in front of more people. Again, like I talked about in Season 1, this is never about uh, getting my name out there, but getting the name of all these amazing people who are so courageous and vulnerable to share their stories and to get their stories out in front of other people because they have an opportunity to make an impact so if you guys can continue to rate the show share it with friends continue to have them download it i know they would appreciate it and so would i so i don't want to keep you guys waiting like i mentioned at the top of the show that we have an amazing episode for you today and it's a first time for me this is two people on the podcast it's a mother and daughter and they share kind of a joint story together so it's interesting to hear their insight together and what they really do is they do offer hope and encouragement for people who are going through what their story is about today. So without making you wait any further, here is my conversation with Tracy and Quinn Anloff. Well, I'd like to welcome to the show today, Tracy and Quinn Anloff. How are you guys doing today?
2: Good. Good.
1: Well, I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, one of our mutual friends, Marcy had recommended you early on when I did my first season of the podcast and she's talked about you two of you and saying listen they have an amazing story you really need to get them on to share their story on the podcast so I'm really excited that you guys are here today to do that are you guys ready to j- jump right in yes yeah. all right so what I ask all my guests at the very first question is is Tracy tell me what it was like a little bit before Quinn even arrived into this world what was your life like
2: pretty busy I have always liked to be active Um, went to college for for four years graduated from University of Pittsburgh I met my husband prior to college we actually went to high school together but we didn't date he really wasn't my type he had a wallet wasn't my thing (laughs) so um, we met right after high school and um, just dated for about five years and decided to get married and then we really never really I I don't remember even talking about children I think Mm -hmm. we just knew that we were going to have kids. Right. We were both working, um, and then next thing you know, there I was. I was, we were ready to have a kid, and I was like, okay, I guess this is gonna happen, so.
1: <laughs> so did you guys, you and your husband, did you guys come from big families?
2: No, um, I have one older sister, and he has a younger sister, so pretty small families mm-hmm. on both end. I have like a lot of cousins on my side, same as his, but just small siblings, yeah.
1: Okay, so it wasn't like, family wasn't the first thing after getting married, like, oh, we're gonna have babies, we will multiply this earth, and we will take over. No?
2: No. I, <laughs> like, I, I, I'm sure, I don't even think I remember being a teenager and thinking about wanting to have children.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I just don't ever really have – it's so strange. don't ever really remember having that conversation with him. Right. And then I guess it was just like a natural, you know, just kind of happened. I'm like, all right, I guess this thing's happening for us. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't – it's never really – I never, even when I told my parents that we were having a a baby, they were like, are you kidding me? Really?
1: (laughs) So nobody saw that coming at all, huh?
2: No, not at all.
1: How long were you guys married before you got pregnant?
2: Um, Two years.
1: So you were married for two years. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what was your pregnancy like?
2: It was different. I mean, I've never, obviously never pregnant before, but I just remember um, a lot of oddness going on. I had put on, I used, I was really thin Mm -hmm. and I had put on about, um, 80 pounds with her. and
1: Way to go, Quinn.
3: Yeah, (laughs) thanks, Quinn.
2: And I didn't quite understand why I was eating the way I was. I was just always craving sugar. I was a real strict vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling my husband, I'm like, hey, I really could go for an Italian hoagie. He's like, i want to take all the meats together. I'm like, I know. For some reason, during my pregnancy with her, I just really craved fat like fatty foods fatty foods like milk i would just drink chocolate milk and meats and just butter like it was just really odd and those i was very health conscious i exercised every day back in the day i would rollerblade nice with my cd player on my little my little panty pack <laughs>
1: Do we have any pictures of that that we can add to the show notes of you? Uh, I don't
2: think so, but uh, I, was, I was good. I could even do crossovers. That's how good I was. Oh, but and, anyway. You know,
1: the, the listeners want to know what that looks like, so if you dig anything up like that, we'll definitely put those onto the show notes. Um, um,
2: maybe I can recreate it. I'll recreate it. I'll oh,
1: see. that would be perfect. If you and Quinn can do that, we'll make it into an Unwritten Life Podcast calendar, and you guys can be January. <laughs> um <laughs> so getting back into your story you're pregnant you're craving all the food actually the food that you're craving sounds really good right now all the chocolate milk and butter, <laughs> butter and meats i think yeah. the people listening right now are going to get really hungry and
2: i'm sure not
1: understand why it's because of you guys
2: yeah but i mean it was just it was just weird and then the weight game like the the weight i was putting on was just pretty intense and then um you know my doctor got to the point i'm like i can't stop gaining weight she's like well why why stop now i mean you already hit a number that's pretty interesting i'm like oh my goodness so then um you know just the whole the whole pregnancy was just fine i mean she was fine i was never sick with her um never anything weird just really unique food cravings mm-hmm. and um and then next thing i know i remember going into the hospital my husband back in the day mm-hmm. works and he had a beeper. This oh, is back in the day.
1: Yeah, that is back in the and day. I
2: remember paging him, <laughs> and him calling back. Finally, he's like, "Well, I'm in the middle of uh, fo- doing a football game right now. Do I? Do you really need me there right now?" I- I-, I'm like, "I don't know. I guess I don't know if I do or not." So, um, finally, he came, and it took a lot. It took a long time. I mean, I was in labor with her for quite some time, and um, the labor itself wasn't as Nice as I thought it was going to be. I had a whole bunch of friends who were pregnant mm-hmm. the same time I was, and um, they had these wonderful stories about like everybody was there and visiting. <laughs> and I didn't have that. My epidural didn't work. Oh, great. They went actually. I think they went through like if that's even a terminology through the spine.
1: Oh, and yeah.
2: It wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And so I was feeling pain on one side but numb on the other, and then she um, passed her. Her vials in, inside of me. So then they had to run another IV to flush me out. I'm like, this isn't what I thought it was. This isn't, <laughs> this, this isn't how they do it on TV. This really this, this kind of stinks. So, um, and then I had her very quickly. She was so tiny. And, like, that, that was really weird for me because being that much, putting that much weight on, Right. I'm like, I'm going to have a 60-pound baby and I can lose all
3: this weight.
2: <laughs> and she was only 6'12". She's 6'12". 12 tiny little thing 18 inches long um you, i mean when i say this i don't just because she's my daughter like honestly the most beautiful baby ever i mean
1: oh, right.
2: like honest <laughs> to god um, and i can say that because i have another one who
3: <laughs> is he, he was so ugly yeah <laughs> i remember well, like going to see him and he was just and he
0: looked
1: like a bird yeah <laughs> i so remember sad. i said i could edit things out but come on people. <laughs> <laughs> he may listen to this podcast, right?
2: He, oh, he knows.
1: All right. He knows that he was hideous. Okay.
2: He knows he was hideous and he knows because he saw the picture and he named himself like, ooh.
1: <laughs> so um, Tracy, what was it like the first time you got to hold her?
2: Um, They took her away because she also, because of the meconium of course, it's in her lungs now. Mm-hmm. So they took her away and they suctioned her out for a long time. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean meconian bile. So what happens is, is she passed, she pooped inside of me. Mm-hmm. And so that means all her, you know, feces was floating around in the water, getting in her lungs, getting in her her nose, which mm-hmm. can cause, um, it could cause death. I mean, it's a, it's very severe and serious when that happens. And it happens frequently, but, um, you know, I, we didn't know if she was having any health, health, health issues prior to this, so they were just doing proper procedures. Right. So it was about, they wouldn't let her breathe. So they didn't, they took her over. They didn't let her breathe. And um, they tried to clean her out. And of course, because she's so darn stubborn, she screamed. So they're like, <laughs> they're like suctioner, suctioner, suctioner. And I'm like, what is going on? So they cleaned her out the best they could. And they brought her over to me.
1: So yeah. what did you think was going on? What were you feeling when you were hearing her kind of scream and they were yelling about suctioning? What was going through your mind at that point?
2: Um, for some reason, I don't know why, but I'm not a nurse, but I know so much stuff that I shouldn't know, mm-hmm. so I kind of knew what was going on, oh, okay. and I was pretty calm. You know, my husband was kind of was bouncing around. He was very nervous,
3: mm-hmm. but,
2: you know, I knew why they weren't going to let her do that because of the or because of the bile and, mm-hmm. and, you know, causing infections and things like that, but, you know, when she did cry sooner, I was like, oh, no, but, I mean, it was fine. I mean, yeah. that wasn't any reasoning like that, but, you know, just it was, she was just under stress inside of me, and something was wrong, and that's why she did that, and, you know, once, when they finally brought her over to me, and holding her, like, I was exhausted, of course, and, um, but just so tiny, and so cute, you know, and and that, they're like, it's a girl, I swore it was going to be a boy, I never thought I'd have a girl, I thought I'd have all boys, and, um, I remember, like, looking at her, and and my husband and I were like, okay, and they're like, what's her name, and I said, Quinn, and, um, her middle name is Van Kirk, and the lady's like, "That's so aristocratic." <laughs> and, 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 I, and looking at her, and she's always been a late, like a lady. And I know that sounds weird to say, but Quinn has always been proper. And even mm-hmm. as a newborn, she just laid there and she didn't even cry. She just like looked around and just an automatic, like born born into this world again as like. Right lady at the wrong time period
1: well for our listeners quinn right now is sipping tea with the pinky out <laughs> he has this big flowery hat on so that does sound about right so i'm glad you cleared that up i was really confused about what was going on but thanks for clearing that up
3: too
2: bad prince harry's taken
1: yeah too bad there maybe hold out hope um, so she's born they cleaned her out you finally get a chance to hold her you and your husband and you found out she's a girl so you guys were really excited at that point
2: yeah super duper excited um never thought I'd have a girl had her, you know had I don't even remember really discussing girls' names. I knew it was always going to be Quinn, but we thought it was going to be a boys so it was going to be Mason and you know I, was, I like the name Mason are there any Mason listeners out there, but
3: it's
2: not <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, it was just really exciting, and the grandparents came in, and my sister was there, and they are all hanging out at the door mm-hmm. waiting listening because you know my sister. Same situation had a great births except for me, and she's like, "What is going on in there? You like, why is everything starting to be so difficult and dramatic for you?" I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> but, um, just pure joy, right? You know? Even now, I can hold her, hold her in my arms. Pure joy. Mm.
1: <laughs> That's the same look that she's having on her face is pure joy. Um, <laughs> she's being held by her mom here on the podcast. <laughs> um, so, how does as she's born, you're at the hospital? How does the story start to evolve a little bit?
2: Sure. So, as we're holding her, the, the, the uh, pediatrician comes and, and checks her out and says to us, you know, there was something odd that happened, you know, and I said, oh, yeah, you know, she went to the bathroom inside of me. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, but when she did go to the bathroom, she pushed out, like, it was almost like a hard, oversized marble.
3: Mm.
2: And she didn't really specify at that time, like, what that was, but it was a little problematic, but I didn't really think, because you're not thinking, I'm in pain, there's a bunch of weird things going on, um, and I'm like, okay, well, weird, but mm-hmm. seems to be okay now, and she's like, yeah, and, you know, as a doctor, I'm sure she had indications, but was didn't want to scare me.
4: Right. You
2: know. so um, what happened was, it's a long. sounds like such a long story, but because the epidural didn't work, mm-hmm. I had severe migraines in the hospital, and it was really hard for me to get up and to hold her, like, I remember having like food on the tray and like, I'm like, someone please push that tray over. I just can't get it. It was just really,
3: mm-hmm.
2: really uncomfortable. And then um, they came back in and they took blood out of my arm and they gave me another epidural and stuck blood into the epidural to try to give me like a blood patch to patch mm-hmm. the whole up. And I, I don't know. I guess they, I mean, I'm not blaming any, anything, but I don't know. I don't remember if they told me I was supposed to stay still for 24 hours, but they let me go home and I don't think it took. So oh, I, was,
4: okay.
2: I was basically like bedridden on the couch for like six, four, four or five days where I had double vision. It was oh, a while wow. we're trying to like take care of a newborn baby. And thank goodness we have such great, like my parents and his parents are great support and they're mm-hmm. both, you know, very helpful. So they, they can over and help. I remember my dad like making me dinner and was feeding me. It was sweet, but they would just put her on my chest and mm-hmm. I would sit there and, and uh, just hold her. And it was, I got better over time, but. You know, she came home, and some odd things happened to her when she was home before we even knew about her diagnosis. Okay. So we would feed her. Um, I bottle fed her. She refused me, so she did not want to breastfeed, so she refused that. Um, thanks, Quinn. So hence the reason why I still had a hard time losing that weight. Anyway.
1: Well, this is um, kind of awkward right now. Um yeah,
2: a awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so we would... I remember feeding her and she would literally projectile vomit the entire bottle across the room. Yeah. This little, like six pound baby, like throwing up across the room. And I'm like, she's so small. She's not keeping anything in. Maybe I'm overfeeding her. Right. Any of them, puke it back up, puke it back up. Um, and so it was a little stressful trying to feed her. So I remember, mm-hmm. I remember it's like probably her third day before we even knew anything. We started finding things out about day four or five, but I remember calling my mom and saying, if you don't get over here right now, I'm going to put her in the snow. And mom's like,
3: don't put her in the snow.
2: <laughs> She's throwing everything up. We would feed her covered in towels because we knew we were going to have like a volcano. Of-
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what that's like. My son did that when he was a baby. He would burp before. It, would, it was the most disgusting thing ever. Oh. And, and you'd be surprised how far a baby can shoot vomit across the room. Yeah. Quite a bit. Masty. Masty. So, so you've come home from the hospital, you're really still reeling from the pregnancy mm-hmm. and the delivery with the pain and the double vision stuff being down. And then on top of it, I know it's tough in those first few days because there's very little sleep going on and you're trying to be you're you know, you're a brand new parent, so everything's new. So you're trying to figure out why she's not eating, why she's not why she's puking everything up, while you're trying to deal with your pain and just deal with life going on. Mm-hmm. What was it like after those three first three days before not thank God you didn't put Quinn in the snow? She's okay, but what what happened next with Quinn?
2: So what happened next is we got a call from the pediatrician, and I remember (laughs) Brian and I were both just laying in bed, and um, she was in the bassinet next to us, and the phone rang, and it said, you know, the pediatrician. I'm like, I don't know why they're calling me. Um, I didn't even have a pediatrician pick. Like, things back – I mean, I'm telling you, back in 99, things were different than they are now. Like, the pediatrician walked in. It was meant to be. And mm-hmm. she was a pediatrician at the hospital, and I loved her. But they called, and they she's like, um, "We need to see you and the baby um, as soon as possible." And I'm like, "Okay." And she's like, mm-hmm. "So you know, just come in like in the next hour, and um, you know, whatever." We're like, "Okay." So I said to Brian, "I'm like, hey, they want us to come in with the baby right away." He's like, "Why?" I'm like, "I don't know. I didn't. I don't know what that. You don't know what questions to ask. You're just like, okay, I'll be there."
3: Did and, it scare you?
2: It scared me a lot because the first thing I thought, like, what's wrong with her? You know, is she, I don't have something, like, something, you know, what, what is wrong with her? Right. You know, something that's going to be, like, physical. Is it mental? Like, I had no idea because, mm-hmm. you know, you're a new parent. You just, you, you know, you're scared enough of having a baby and dropping it couple times sorry um, <laughs> but let alone something wrong and I remember trying to go because I still have double vision I remember sitting trying to put makeup on I don't know why you put makeup on when you have an emergency and trying to put mascara on I'm like I don't know so Brian and I grabbed the baby and we left we didn't even bring a diaper bag like we're, that's how new parents we were we didn't even know like we're just like get the baby let's go
4: get the baby you know? and go right
2: <laughs> no diapers nothing we go to the pediatrician with just this baby in a car seat and, um, I remember sitting in the waiting room and the doctor came out and brought us in and sat us down and, um, she's like, so does anybody in your family have cystic fibrosis? Mm-hmm. And I remember the first word was I swore, like, it's like, I'll say, I'll, I said the F word, but I was like, shit, you know, mm-hmm. and Brian, you know, Brian really didn't know much about it. And the only reason why I knew about it is because when I was pregnant, I watched a documentary on it. Um. And I remember watching TV about it and be like, oh, that really sucks. You know, that's horrible. Right. And next thing you know, I'm living this documentary, you know? And um, I remember sitting there and her telling us, and it just seemed like I was trying to listen. Right. It was just, seems like it was just going in one ear and going out the other. And all I can hear was CFCF, cystic fibrosis, cystic fibrosis. And um, she's like, I made an appointment for you guys to take her down to Children's Hospital tomorrow.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm like,
2: Okay, like, right? Where's that? What? What's that? Where's that at? Um, and so we had to go home, and we had to tell our parents, and that was probably one of the hardest things to do because both of our parents are nurses. Okay, always like worst case scenario.
1: Sure. Yeah, Yeah. I have a sister who's a nurse, and it's always like (laughs) she'll give it to you just raw. It's never like sugar coated, and uh, it's always, you know the tough scenarios. Let me go back a couple steps. So you, you guys are there at the hospital or the pediatrician's office mm-hmm. and you get this news. And like you said, you're kind of just reeling. You're already cussing and like, you know, what is going on? I've seen a documentary about this. Now I'm living it.
3: Mm-hmm. They
1: told you you had an appointment. What was that ride like on the way home with you and your husband?
2: I remember it being very, very quiet. Um, you know, he, I remember him just saying like, what is it? And I said, this is what I saw that it was. And I said, it's not good. Mm-hmm. You know, we just got really quiet on the way home.
1: Well, now, let, me, let me ask you a question. Can you describe for people listening, what is cystic fibrosis for people who are not really sure, they've heard about it, but they really don't know?
2: <laughs> We're laughing because Quinn has the, <laughs> the hardest time defining what cystic fibrosis is. <laughs> That's comical. Um, cystic fibrosis is a genetic disease.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Both parents need to be a carrier, which my husband and I both are, and um, we created quin and what cystic fibrosis is it's when your body doesn't produces too much mucus and you are missing some proteins that move that that salt around in your body that allows your body to get rid of the mucus right Mm -hmm. um and so what happens is that the mucus sticks it's sticky it's like fly paper Mm -hmm. picture putting up fly paper catching flies that's what her lung does with bacteria okay um, as well as the mucus affects everything it affects your stomach it, it affects your um reproductive system more it affects males more than than the females do mm-hmm. um we'll talk about that in a little bit and it also um is a enzyme issue with her liver and her body does not break down fats or proteins Sorry
4: okay her.
2: her body does not pr- um, break down fats or proteins so okay. she needs to take pills every day to make sure that she's um, absorbing fats and proteins in her food. Okay. That goes back to um, her her bow. Her like what happened with her bowel is that her body mm-hmm. put up that blockage because her body was all that fat I was eating. Right. It was absorbing. It was causing her to to not be able to function in in that area.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for explaining that because I, I, I know a lot of people know the term. They know what it is, but they really maybe not know the details of it. So I mm-hmm. want to kind of lay that groundwork early on as we go on in the story a little bit. So like you said, the ride home is really quiet. You're probably not talking much. Probably mm-hmm. well, You're probably just digesting it in your head, each other. I could see that.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and then you get home and you have to make those phone calls. We so to
2: what, make those phone calls.
3: What
1: was um, that like?
2: We decided to have them over and we told them that we got the baby pictures in and we wanted them to look at them because we didn't want the, you know, they're like, okay. Um, but I guess on the back end, my mother and mother-in-law were calling each other and be like, something's wrong. Why would she want us to come over and look at pictures? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny to hear the backstory of it. Right. Um, and I do remember at the pediatrician's office too, I remember her telling her, but both my parents were nurses and she was so sweet, um, Dr. Zida, and she said, would you um, like me to come to your home tonight and talk to them about it? Like, what pediatrician does that?
1: No, that's amazing.
2: She's um, She's been amazing. Isn't she amazing? Mm-hmm. We love Dr. Zeta. She's absolutely amazing. Um, she's been in our lives since day one with her, so 19 years, and she's, just, she's a great person. Um, but they came over that night, and we did have baby pictures, luckily, <laughs> and they're looking at them. And so I said, and of course, it's me. My husband's very quiet about things. Mm-hmm. And... I said to them, I said, we need to talk to you guys about something. And they're like, okay, what's going on? And I told them and, you know, they both started crying because they knew what CF was Mm -hmm. but not what it is now. Right. And you were only thinking about, like, CF in the 70s where life expectancy was 7 or 11 and you really didn't have that potential to see a teenager sitting next to you, a college student, a bride, Mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff that is happening now. Right. So, quite devastating for them.
1: Yeah. So after you told them the news, what was the next step in your plan? The next step was the hospital appointment?
2: Yeah, the next step was to jump in the car mm-hmm. the next day and go to Children's Hospital. Um, still, I was still suffering from the after effects of everything, so it was a little rough on me. But we went down to Children's Hospital and um, we met a couple doctors. And the one doctor we met, I remember him, um, holding Quinn, and I had just fed her a bottle, and he's like, this is how you burp a baby, and I'm like, okay, and he burped her, and she puked all over his shoes, <laughs> and I remember Brian, I'm like, that's not our doctor, I don't want him,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then we met um, Dr. Orenstein, and um, he was amazing, like, he just made us feel so good about everything, and all the things that were coming up in the future, and right don't worry. We got this. This is this is no big deal. We're going to handle this. And I remember watching videos and sitting there and Brian and I are like, what is, where, where are we? Like, is this real? <laughs> like we're watching these videos and it's books and mm-hmm. giving us all this information. I'm like, I don't even know how to like barely take care of this thing. Let alone right. read all these books about it. Right. So, um, and I remember them showing us and, and sitting there and they're like, you need to do chest percussion therapy on her. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is that? And they gave us this little remember that little blue cup? Yeah. This little blue cup, and they showed us all these different positions that we would have to hold her and just pound on her on her lobes of her lungs to loosen up mucus because she was so small. Right. Um, and so they showed us videos and practiced with us and sent us books and. Oh my gosh, it was just, it was like a six hour appointment and it was just so overwhelming and I just remember the exhaustion, but we did remember a diaper bag. So
1: <laughs> That's okay. good. You guys were making strides as parents at that point. <laughs> so during that six hour appointment, you know, you had that first guy at first and then you had the doctor that you really, who came alongside of you. How important was it to have somebody come alongside you in that moment, be very positive and kind of speak some truth into you guys at that moment that things would be okay? I, yeah. Thinking yeah. back, how important was that?
2: Amazing. I mean, it was so important to know that we were in the right place at the right time, and that um, that somebody was there who we say literally wrote the book on the disease. Wrote the wow. book. He did. And to have him as our doctor, and to allow to for him to allow us to let him be our doctor. Mm-hmm. He was pretty full. He was pretty full. I mean, he had a full load of patients, and mm-hmm. you know. And we said, we want you to be our doctor. And he's like, well, you know, I got a lot of patients. He goes, but I'll be your doctor. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So just, I mean, to have such a tragic experience, but have such good two experiences with Dr. Zieta and Dr. Ornstein. And they work well together, too, at the time, too. They would always communicate to each other. It was just, it was very, it was very relieving.
1: Good. So after your big six-hour marathon appointment, all these videos, learning all these things—I mean, it's tough enough being a new parent, but a new, a new parent with a child that has some sort of disability or sickness or something that you have to cope with on a daily basis—what were the next week or weeks like after that?
2: It was very trying. Um, doing the chest percussion therapy was tough. We had to give her pills, so as think picture as a six-month-old trying to shove pills down her, or six-day-old trying to shove p- pills down her throat. We oh, no have to open up the pills and put little beads in her mouth so your little uh, crayons have beads in them. So for the, we'd have to put three beads in your mouth, and then we'd have to make sure they're down so she wouldn't get, like, thrushed or anything like that. Right. And then she would throw up the beads, and the next thing I know, I'm digging through the puke to see how many I – mean, the things I did for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> digging through her puke to see – digging through her, her poop to see if she's digesting them. Like, all I did was dig in your disgustingness, but
1: um, – <laughs> If you guys could see this, looks they're giving each other at this moment, it is it is priceless. <laughs>
2: but um, you know, just having to give those pills to her, and then with the with the formula, we started having to put real thick cereal in it so that mm-hmm. it would stay down. Because she, I forget what it's called, laryngeal, oh, laryngeal aphalasia I made that up it's something like that <laughs> but it's when her vocal cord was extra floppy and I'm like seriously Quinn can't you just be normal right so mm-hmm. she's throwing up this food we're giving her Prevacid for um for acid reflux to try to keep right. the food. Calm. but trying to feed a six day old baby thick formula as thick as ketchup was very stressful because now she's choking on it mm-hmm. now now I can't get the cereal out of the bottle nipple because it's too small So, you know, we had to come up with these ideas of putting like a toothpick in it to keep it larger, cut little scissors in it. It was just just very trying. (laughs) Right. And then we would have to do chest percussion therapy and we're exhausted.
1: How often do you have to do that during the day?
2: um, We would do it three times a day Mm -hmm. and it would take about a half an hour. So morning, afternoon, evening. Um, So we would pound on her chest with this little thing. We were in different positions. She'd throw up because of the positions. And um, I was so exhausted. I swear I remember sitting there, half asleep, pounding her head. So, <laughs> that of like pounding, like well, I was supposed to be like pound, 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 pound. like next thing I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> she in head ten times. She's like just sitting. She, I mean, thank God. She was so good because I hear so many stories of people with babies and infants <laughs> that are running all over, chasing them to try to do, and she would just sit there. Like good a job, Gwen. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, but it was it was very stressful. Um,
4: right.
2: My mother and my mother-in-law would come over and give me breaks and let me just, you know, relax a little bit when they would come do therapy. Sure. And um, all that.
1: So just connecting with what our listeners connect with is part of the story and the struggle part of it, you know, and there's some funny parts about going through the puke and stuff like that you are joking about. But being that new parent for you and your husband, what was, like, the most trying times, like, that you were thinking through in your head that early on where you are having to do those three times a a day pounding on their poor little chest and the medicine and the sickness what was the most mentally trying and stuff for you guys at that moment
2: I think that my husband traveled a lot mm-hmm. Um, still does and I felt like a lot of times that I was just kind of on my own you know just mm-hmm. exhausted and tired and he'd be out long nights and coming home like just you do it you take her you mm-hmm. do it you know, just trying to split, split up the responsibility as much as we can, and I think another trying part was, you know, a lot of my friends didn't understand, Mm -hmm. they they were like, some of them kind of got real distant with me, and I really didn't talk to them that much anymore, because they just were scared, or didn't know what to expect, and, um, which is fine, I mean, I, I completely understand, but, you know, just come and ask questions, don't be afraid of, you know, it's not contagious. You right. know, that's when you need somebody the most is when you need your friends and your family. So, you know, that that's a nice way of weeding out who maybe you really didn't really need in your life, I guess.
1: could Yeah, that could be. And yeah. we've had this kind of same conversation come up on different podcasts related to um, someone who had lost a child or somebody who had lost a spouse where they did start to feel some isolation. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people, they just don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. You don't know if they should approach, should they bring it up, do you want to talk about it? So give me just a couple tips for people. Like what's the right permission, right language to approach somebody in in your situation like you were then?
2: You know, I think the best thing would just say to somebody, you know, what can I do to help? Um, You know, I might not be understand what's going on, but I don't want you to be in, uh, under pressure or under stress. And anything that I can do – to help you, you know, whether if it's run to the grocery store or mm-hmm. run to the pharmacy to pick up medicine, you know, just just to be there for them or just to bring them something like bring them a coffee and sit down and just have mm-hmm. a conversation and um, ask questions. I think the biggest thing is not okay. to be free to ask some questions.
1: Okay, so yeah, to so you don't have that isolation, so you don't feel so alone. You're already tired and feel exhausted, but to feel mm-hmm. alone because you know I'm sure as being a young mom, and you have a young baby, you do look around and see all the people who are quote-unquote normal babies, the normal pregnancies, and wonder why me, you know, why is my child like this? Did you have moments like that?
2: Yeah, definitely. I remember one of my biggest moments was New Year's Eve. It was um, 1999 going into 2000. Mm-hmm. When everybody was scared. Everybody yeah. was scared that the, you know, save the water. The computer's going to go out. I remember laying on the couch by myself um, my husband bought this really expensive bottle of champagne, and I just didn't want to leave the couch. He he actually sat on the front porch with our Shih Tzu, and they shared it.
3: <laughs> uh,
2: I remember playing on the couch with her in, in the car seat down below, and cr- every time a new country turned <laughs> New Year's, I bawled each time.
3: Oh, wow.
2: Was, yeah, I just remember, like, feeling um, – Kind of like a new year was so stressful. Like, is this gonna, you know, what's this next year gonna be like, and mm-hmm. and so forth. So I remember just feeling lonely and, and right. sad. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm.
1: that's tough early on, especially wondering those kind of things. What was things are gonna be like? I want to go back to uh, stuff you talked about with expectancies when they talked about uh, cystic fibrosis in the '70s. Talking about you know, capping out at seven, eleven years old. Did they early on talk to you like, listen, she may only grow and live to a certain age. Did they tell you anything like that early on?
2: Yeah. Um, You know, in, in order for us to have this disease, you know, to say this is, is odd, but this is the best possible time to ever have something like this.
3: Mm-hmm. Things
2: were happening, and there was a lot of studies being done when she was born. And I remember Dr. Orenstein saying to me, he's like, I just want to let you know that there will be a cure in her lifetime. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, that gave us a lot of hope. and. Um, You know, whether that lifetime is, I think, 40, 50, or what have you, Mm -hmm. you know, it's our job and her job to stay as healthy as she can for when that does happen that she can, she's ready.
1: She's ready. So hearing that early on, I mean, how awesome, like I said, you had that guy come along you early on to be positive about that. But the whole point of this podcast is to offer hope and just have someone like that very early on when you have people around you that talk to you about stories of fear and things like that really give you that hope. That must have been an amazing feeling at that point.
2: It is, and, like, look, like, looking back now, you don't realize those, those important factors and how much people really made a difference in your life, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's just nice to reflect and, and just truly look back and say, wow, that, was, that person made a difference or that person just made my day that day because of coming to see us when we were in the hospital or, you know, making us rigatoni one day. Like, mm-hmm. it's just amazing that people are truly out there to help and to be, you know, just to be there for you.
1: That's awesome. So we'll fast forward just a little bit, unless there's something I'm missing out on, but what was it like as she started to get a little bit older year by year?
2: Um, so when she started to get, we were still, you know, doing hand therapy and all that stuff, but very protective of her. I remember being in the mall and she was in a stroller and a woman came up and touched her and I yelled at the woman. I said, you don't touch people's babies and you don't touch my baby. And I found that and I'm like, gosh, but Quinn knows me. She knows I'd be <laughs> like yeah, my baby's face. Um, but you know, we just, we kind of, I kind of, we had some play dates, we had some friends, but I was very particular. Um, you know, her, her best friend in the entire world is my niece, Avery. Okay. And Avery would come over and Avery was always sick. she was the sickest kid. She's like, why are you always so sick? And they would come over and spend the weekend. And I remember my sister um, watched me through the door, and she's like, did you really just go get Lysol? I'm like, yeah, I spread the whole <laughs> house down when people leave. Um, so it was just really particular in that fact. But, you know, it was time to really consider what we were going to do with her. Did I want a homeschooler? Mm-hmm. Do you imagine?
3: Mm-mm, no. no.
2: Um, so we decided just to treat her as normal. I did quit my job. I didn't want her in daycare. Um right. Did we have the luxury to do that? No. Did we make that decision? Yeah. You know, we really had to make some sacrifices, but, you know, I'm like, I want to put her in preschool, and so we put her into a preschool program, and, you know, we have to, we would have to have a, we had conversations with the teachers about this, what needed to be done, um. So preschool went really smooth. I was very happy with it. You loved it, little chum. Chum. <laughs> Great friends. I um, saw her be social, still afraid of the Easter Bunny, still afraid <laughs> of Santa Claus, all that good stuff.
1: Well, there's adults who are scared of Santa Claus and yeah. the Easter Bunny. So Santa's fine. The
2: Easter Bunny just
0: really, I still don't like
1: it. <laughs> the Easter Bunny can be a little creepy. Let me ask you a question, Quinn. So what's your earliest memory growing up and knowing that maybe you were a little bit different than everybody else?
0: Um, I remember like going to preschool, we'd always, you'd always have snack time and Teachers would always have to pull me over and give me pills and kids would always like look over. Mm -hmm. And that was like one of my earliest memories was being pulled aside, which still happens. Like I get pulled aside and still get asked things. Um, But yeah, that was one of my earliest memories.
1: So Uh, with those early memories, how did that impact you socially or mentally?
0: um, It definitely made me feel different. Like Mm -hmm. there was something wrong with me, but um, and I was lucky enough to find people in my life, like friends and Mm -hmm. even people who didn't make me feel different at all, just like it was totally normal, what I had to do.
1: That's awesome, that's good you have somebody. So what tip could you give to people you know, because your mom felt isolated early on when you were a baby. You could start to feel a little isolated with people. What what tips would you give to other people to come to approach someone like yourself in a situation like that or anybody that seems a little different?
0: No, I guess just the same thing. Like, ask questions, even though I have a <laughs> terrible time explaining it I'm <laughs> really awful at it. Um, just ask questions and don't be afraid to, like, it's just, it is what it is. So,
1: Right. All right. Good. No, that's a good answer. So your mom said you're horrible explaining it. You say you're horrible explaining it. So we got to hear your definition of cystic fibrosis. This is your 30 second, 30 second elevator pitch. Someone's like, like, oh, you have cystic fibrosis. What is that? Oh, it's so bad.
2: (laughs) So
0: there is this girl who I was in school with and we never really talked, but uh, we were in a, we did the same activities. We're both in theater and the theater group was going to Disney and she came up to me and she asked me if she could like walk around with my group at Disney and I was like, yeah, sure. Like we'll be fine. And then we were talking. She's like, you have cystic fibrosis, right? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, what is it? And I was like, uh, I sweat salt. And <laughs> she was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I don't know. And then my friend Megan is like super smart. And I just I looked at Megan. I was like, can you just please tell her like what it is that really is? I, I don't know. <laughs>
1: So, your tip would be to surround yourself with really smart friends. Yes. If you can't speak for yourself about your issues, they can help you out.
3: Yes. All right.
1: That's a good tip, I think, for anybody in life. <laughs> uh, well, if you Quinn, I'll come back to you again. Growing up, was there ever a point where you were like, why me also? When it, was something, yeah. when it was just kind of tough? Can you explain that a little bit?
0: Yeah, definitely in, like, middle school and, like, early on in high school, Um I just kind of, I wanted to be like everybody else, and I didn't want to have to wake up early and do a treatment, and I wanted to just be able to stay out at night with my friends and Mm. not have to worry about coming home and sitting there for half an hour plugged up to a machine, so I kind of pushed it away. Like, I didn't, I really didn't um, take care of myself at all, and it came back to bite me in the butt a little bit.
1: Well, let's Take a step back. So when you said that you didn't take care of yourself at all and it came back to hurt you, what was something you weren't doing that you should have been doing?
0: Uh, everything. I didn't do anything.
1: Like what? Give me uh, one or two. Maybe your mom can help out too.
0: I didn't take my pills. She'd hide them. Uh, yeah, I'd hide them. I'd flush them. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't do my chest. When I got older, I, they didn't need to like pound me anymore. I got a vest mm-hmm. that would do it for me, and I would just – run the machine and I I wouldn't hook up to it at all
2: um and I knew yeah she knew I'm not dumb
1: (laughs) right well well, so how did that impact you then mom that she very stressful because you spent your whole life doing everything you can digging through her vomit and poop and everything else (laughs) just to keep her going Mm -hmm. but to see her kind of really like self-inflict all these things on herself because she didn't really want to accept that how was that for you
2: it caused a lot of conflict in our house. Mm-hmm. Um, it caused a lot of arguments. You know, I'm like, that's what's going on right now. There's nothing, you know, I can't literally force these things down her throat. Right. You know, what do you want? You know, what What can we do? Well, you need to sit there and make sure she does it. Well, I'm back to work. Like, I, I'm exhausted. I'm trying to fall asleep. I need to go to bed. I'm getting up at 5 in the morning to go to work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, was, it, it added a lot of unnecessary stress and. You know, if I can give any advice out there to kids that have to do medicines, whether you're diabetic or Mm -hmm. MS or whatever you have, you know, do what you need to do because not only are you causing harm to yourself, you're causing access, like additional stress in your family that doesn't need to be there on top of everything else.
1: Right. Okay. That's a good tip. So when you were going through that, Quinn, when you really just kind of wanted to be like everybody else, and nobody can blame anyone in that situation, when you are constantly being pulled aside and you can't stay out late and you have to take pill after pill and all these different uh, treatments, when did that finally just implode upon you where, like, I've got to get help, I've got to maintain myself and be healthy?
0: Um, So the last month of my freshman year, I got put into the hospital, which I was never in. I was in when I was younger, like right when I was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. was the last time I was in the hospital, so um, yeah, the May of my freshman year, I was put in the hospital, and I, you know, I had the whole pick line in for Mm -hmm. medications, and and I just kind of felt like, like such a burden at that point, like my dad would have to come home, well, not even come home from work, he'd go from work straight Mm -hmm. to the hospital, and she'd go have to leave the hospital super early in the morning to get to work so I just felt like really bad that I did that to myself and did that to them Mm -hmm. um and then that's not even really really got better because I I remember I got home from the hospital (laughs) and I was just never broke the routine of just skipping my treatments and you know my friend was having a bonfire and my dad was like yeah you can go but get your treatments done first and I was like okay I will and I didn't, and I told him I did, and the numbers haven't changed. they have been tracking numbers on my machine, and right. I didn't change, so he came, he picks me up, and from the party, from the party. Grabbed oh. her
1: for
2: the party. Yeah.
1: Not good.
3: <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> yeah. he's like, oh, that's
2: bad. When the dad shows up it and was bad. you from
3: the party.
1: Yeah, that's not a good sign.
2: Yeah. Go back to her hospital visit real quick, if you don't mind. Yeah, she, please. He's allergic to um, Bactrim. And, you know, this kind of bit her in the butt, too. So this is advice to anybody that just, she was allergic to Bectrum, and so they decided to reintroduce it to her mm-hmm. slowly. So they put her in the intensive care unit just to watch her. She was the easiest ICU patient they've ever had. Matter of fact, you have to tell the story about looking out the window in a second. Mm-hmm. But um, they introduced it to her. They thought she was okay. They they sent her home. So she still had IV. We, we had to do all the IVs at home. We mm-hmm. were basically now her nurse. So we had the pump pumper with the medicine, we had pump pumper with, cl- or, um, I forget what that is, is—the blood clotting stuff, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, give her more antibiotics. So like now we're, we're literally putting IVs in our own kid.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It was terrifying. You know, I'm like, there's a bubble, there's a bubble, you know, whatever. But...
1: Yeah, it would be scary.
2: Yeah, it was just really very, it was just very st- stressful, but it's, you know, as a parent, what you gotta do. You know, I've, if this if this happened while she's in college, this is what we're gonna we'd she'd have to do. You know, it's just a part of what it is. But you know, the key is what happened was she got reintroduced to the Bactrim, and it really messed up her immune system. And for four years now, she's been struggling with um, you say it, <clears throat> your thymus dosum, which yeah. is when
0: yeah, it's when what is it like my joints and I get. My joints swell, and I get really stiff, and I have these, like, red, bumpy welts all over my body, and I I just, like, have trouble moving and getting up and
2: just – It's agonizing. Yeah.
1: So so was all this a result of you not taking care of yourself for that period of time?
2: Yeah. Not finishing the antibiotics she started. Like, Mm -hmm. she would take – you know, a two-week dose, she would only take seven days. You know, and that hurts you. It makes you, It makes your body reject those antibiotics. And with somebody with CF, you need those antibiotics. So now her body's like, listen, you didn't finish me the last five times. I'm not going to work for you this time. Right. So, I mean, any advice out there for anybody, finish your whole dose of antibiotics um, because it's going to hurt you in the future that your body's going to say that those don't work and it really affects the immune system. And now her immune system is, is, is healing, but it's, it was hurt.
1: It was hurt. So, mm-hmm. Quinn, how did that make you feel that you you wanted to be normal like everybody else and you rejected the fact that you had cystic fibrosis and rejected the medication and stuff that, that put you in the position that you're in today? How did that make you feel?
0: Like an idiot. <laughs> like just really stupid. Like
1: <laughs> Mom's nodding her head yes.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you can, ha- you can only have so many hard conversations with somebody. Right. You know, and- it's not equivalent to alcoholism or whatever, but, you know, you have to accept it, and you have to know that there's a problem. Right. And she's that that was a problem, and, you know, we can talk about this, too, in the future, but, you know, she wants a family. She wants kids, and I, would, I said to her, and I think this is something that stuck with her, too. I don't remember if it did or not. And I said to her, I'm like, go ahead and have kids. I said, but if you're not taking care of yourself now, you probably won't live long. Right. And I said, so who's going to be raising your children? Me. Right like ew that's yeah. scary it's scary and so you know sometimes you know sometimes tough reality checks really have to be said um you know things I never thought I'd ever have to say to my children but it now triggers down to my son who doesn't have CF and I'm I'm pretty hard with him now too and I you know I I take that as a great um a great parenting tip is to, to lay it out there. It's not pre- it's not pretty.
1: No. No sometimes you have to have those tough talks. And especially it's a little tougher for you in your situation than normal kids who don't have this kind of thing. But one thing I can tell you, Quinn, and your mom's probably told you the same thing, is you know, the stuff that you went through that's the toughest, the lessons that you had to learn, those are what's going to define you as you get older. Those are the things that are going to help you help other people. Yeah. You know? Because in our life, we always look at it as an A to B straight line, and nobody really anticipates the zigzags in life. And our zigzags is where we learn the most and gain the most strength. So your zigzags may be tough, and it must have been tough to go through, but I guarantee you it's going to help kick butt for other people in the future as you go stronger mentally and become a better friend and a better resource for other people. Yeah,
3: definitely.
1: So, absolutely. I think you're already awesome. So even your mom agrees. Even your mom thinks you're cool. Oh, geez.
0: <laughs> but does she think I'm cool? We can talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, we'll
1: have a separate podcast about that. Is your mom cool? Um, <laughs> So well, after you dealt with all of that, and you know, I, st- I know you're still dealing with the effects of that, how did the rest of your high school career pan out?
2: Um, we well, are talking to the 2018 Norwin Snowball Queen. What? I was a Snowball Queen my senior year.
1: Uh, Congratulations.
0: Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, it was, it was tough um having to wake up early and i just had like zero motivation i was like i really in my head i was like it's one or the other and i don't really know which one i cho- chose i didn't like it was either grades or health and she chose neither i chose neither
2: yeah she her um so- end of sophomore year to junior year you know she suffered from some depression and anxiety nice. yeah and you know cuz then you have a reality that comes into you like oh my gosh this is my life and So we had to get that fixed, you know, fix, fix the noggin a little bit, which is fine. But, um, you know, sometimes you just got to have everything in in line as much as you can. I know the zigzags do happen, like you said, but, um, if you can just do your best to align those zigzags and sometimes you got to get one thing fixed to help the other things too.
1: No, absolutely. You know, mental health is one of the biggest things we talk about on this podcast a lot because it, it affects everybody on one level or another. And, um, It must have been tough, you know, as you, Quinn, getting older and realizing, yes, this is my life. I will Mm -hmm. have these struggles, you know, and new things may present themselves as I get older, you know, and I want to have a family. What does that look like? And um, I think that coming on and talking about that and saying, you know, I was depressed. I did have depression. I had anxiety over my future and what was going on on that daily basis. Those are the things that people connect to, you know, those are the things that make people feel more normal because I, be, I dealt with depression really bad and you can go back and listen to my episode if you haven't listened to it, anybody out there. Um, and it's very isolating and it's really scary and um, it can really put you in a bad place going forward. So the fact yeah. that there is hope out there for people and to talk about it more so people aren't so scared off by mental health and stuff like that, um, I think it's really important. So thanks for bringing that up. I really appreciate it. Um, So I hear that you're going to be going to college. Is that true?
0: Yeah, I leave in 15 days.
1: 15 days. So how does that feel to you, Mom?
2: Good and bad. A little nerve-wracking because, you know, she's made some big changes in her life and transitions, but in my mind, is it a transition enough? Right. I feel like all my life, I don't know how many times a day I've said it, Quinn, but is your therapy done? Did you take your pills? Did you do your pills? Did you therapy? I feel like I've not done as much lately, right? Um, So I'm seeing that there is that sense of responsibility with her. Um, I'm a little nervous because she's not going to be here for us to watch, but, you know, thank God there's FaceTime and if I feel that she may be slipping on something, I'm going to have her FaceTime me while she does therapy just to make sure that we're okay here for a little bit. Right. Um, you know, making sure she's taking her pills and filling in her pill case
4: mm-hmm.
3: and
2: then we're starting a new drug that um, she has to take in the morning and at the night and if she doesn't, it can really mess things up with insurance, um, syndeca, so it's kind of like um, quote unquote the start of the cure. It's. Mm-hmm she'll be taking every day, um, twice a day, to help, you know, her body change and, and work the way it's supposed to work. Okay. Put it in terms And she has to take that pill in the morning, and she has to take that pill at night. Um, and that's going to probably start right when she goes to college, so it's going to be a different transition there. And she has to eat it with fats, and she has to make sure she's doing this, so, you know, Quinn has a lot, a lot, of, fear. Of, a lot of fear, but she has a lot more responsibility than other kids not some other kids there have huge responsibilities too so i'm not <laughs> downplaying that at all but um you know the key that's and i think what's really really important to even go back to that mental health conversation mm-hmm. is to have the right people around you right i cannot have been more happier with the friends that she's had through high school um the most phenomenal group of girls that, that possibly could have that literally have texted me and said she skipped her therapy tonight she didn't do it you better te- you better check her
1: that's a high uh, level of accountability right there.
2: Yeah, very, They very, very care. They really, really care about her. Um, and, you know, she had to go away on this adventure, I call it adventure <laughs> camp. Um, <laughs> she had to spend five days in a cabin. It was electricity, but, you know, tell them a little bit about how, like, <coughs> that was kind of like your first outing, like being with people that didn't know about your CF. So share that one. I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So
0: when I got there, like I obviously did not know anybody <clears throat> they took our phones away. I didn't have my phone, so it's, I wasn't, I was just Uh-oh. thrown out of my comfort zone. And so I walked up there to one of the leaders, and, you know, they had known before. I had talked to the camp before about, you know, what I had to do with my treatments and stuff. And um, so we got there, and I I didn't want to put my treatments in the room because it's hard. The dog, oh, <laughs> the dog jumped. again. <laughs> so I didn't want to have my <laughs> <laughs> treatments in the room because there were, there were 10 girls in there. I didn't want to be, like, a nuisance to them with, this loud machine and right so I put it in the activities hall like in the corner of the room just completely alone <clears throat> and then within the first couple hours I met um some people who now I talk to every single day and they were they were like I was walking to the activities hall and they were like where are you going and I was like oh I just have to do a, a treatment I was like I have cystic fibrosis and that was the first time I really brought it up and um they were like they hadn't no idea and they were like well why don't you just bring your stuff into the room and so that made me feel really comfortable.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So I <clears throat> brought in my stuff and like one girl was in the shower and I explained it to the rest of them and I started this machine and it's just it's a big machine with tubes and a vest and they all hook up and shake and the the one girl like walked out of the bathroom like <laughs> completely in shock and I was like oh I, I missed one. Like I just I let me just tell you what this is but they were all kind of like amazed by it they would all just like sit around by me and watch watch me do this treatment they talk to me about it and so now I I, like it's like a new perspective like I just feel more comfortable with it and um,
1: yeah yeah that's awesome that's good I mean that's a great story that you went from like have no hide in this hall to them asking you to come back into the room and then everyone you were they were captivated by you and your story just like I am right now so that is really cool that you had that experience with all these brand new people. So that must give you a little bit of an idea of maybe what's coming for college, right? Yeah. So let me ask you, Quinn, then. So what do you see for your future? What are you looking forward to the most?
2: Um,
0: I think just being on my own and, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, like taking responsibility for what I have to do
3: mm-hmm.
0: eventually. You know, she just surprised me with this yesterday. I said she's gonna come down once a month and visit me with my pills, which I did not know was happening.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So
1: So guess, uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, just being on completely on my own at some point.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so what do you see as a career something that you're interested in right now? What something um, you wanna do?
0: I'm really looking into elementary education. Okay. Um, I loved elementary school. I had like the absolute best teachers and they like just made such a positive mark on my life that I want to be able to do the same thing. So.
1: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's yeah. a good, that's definitely a good career that we need a lot of great teachers out there. And so Tracy, how do you feel? What do you, what kind of hopes do you have for Quinn's future?
2: Um, for her to do what she needs to do, her health should come first,
3: mm-hmm. schooling
2: second, but they should be pretty close tie up there, right? Um, she, I'd like to see her have a career, move out, (laughs) but she can always come back if she wants to for a little bit. (laughs) Um, I like for her to like live her dreams and travel and, and do everything that she wants to do and everything that she, anybody deserves to do. Right. Enjoy, you know, enjoy it. She's going to have some setbacks. Um, everybody does, but if, as long as she's on top of it and can overcome it and just have strength because sometimes some of the setbacks are going to be harder than others and health related, but life, life, mm-hmm. life throws you a lot of curveballs that you're just not prepared for, and, right. um, you know, being surrounded by the right people, making good decisions, um, watching her drinking, um, you know, just knowing what's going on out there, <laughs> all that good stuff, just making good decisions, I, you know, I'd like to see her settle down if she wants to and get married, and have a family and get a pug. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wait a minute! Did you say get a pug? Yes. We have a pug. You really? We have a black pug. His name is Carl. Oh my god!
0: Yeah. Carl, Where are my-
1: Carl the pug. He. You can check him out on Instagram. He's got a. <laughs> he's got like three thousand followers on Instagram. Carl the pug. Oh check yeah. him out. Anyhow, yeah. When you said pug, I was like, wait a minute. Did you say pug? Anyhow. So basically, Tracy, you want the same thing everybody wants for their kids. And yeah. That's why I loved it. I like how you said it like that. You know, you just want the same things everybody has. It's not a different experience. There's a little fear, I'm sure, with, you know, different outcomes of not knowing how things will progress or digress or things like that. But you want the same things, the same hope, same aspirations as any parent wants for their children. That's great. That's great. So as we wrap things up a little bit, um, the question that we ask everybody at the very end, and I want both of you guys to answer this separately, and I'll I'll start with you first, Tracy, is – what bit of hope and encouragement could you offer to somebody who is going through this, who has been through it, who is like up in it right now? I mean, think about those early baby times, you know, what that was like hearing that and um, just living that out. What kind of hope would you offer?
3: Um,
2: There's so much out there. There's so many new medicines. There's so much um, research going on right now. And, you know, if you need to contact your local government and, and make sure that, you know, Everything is being passed the way that it should be and utilize your secondary insurance if you have that. The state of Pennsylvania has a great um, secondary insurance that helps pay for all of this stuff. It's very, mm-hmm. it can be very expensive. Don't skip your appointments. You know, if the doctor says come back every six weeks, it's not an inconvenience. It's just one day out of your, one day out of six weeks that could really make a difference in your child's health. And Stay on top of them, but allow them to explore their freedom. Allow them to make some mistakes and know that they're making them, but guide them back. Um, guide them back as much as you can, but let them let them find their own mistakes because finding their own mistakes makes them
1: mm-hmm. more aware. Yeah, no, I think that is perfect. And what about you, Quinn? As a person who's going through it and living it out every day, mm-hmm. what kind of hope could you give to someone who's going through it, growing up like this and living it?
0: Um, that it sucks, but it's, it's worth it. And there's, you know, everything happens for a reason
3: mm-hmm.
0: and, um, just that you have to do what you have to do. And just, I feel like I'm rambling. It's
1: no, rambling. You're doing fine.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, just do what you need to do. It really, like, it really sucks, but it's happening for a reason. They ha- have all these new medicines and, Mm -hmm. everybody's working with you Um, even your friends, your family,
2: doctors and stuff so I think it's important too to reach out for help like you know going accept the help but you know as a parent and I'm not a perfect parent but you recognize things in your child that's not going right
3: Mm
2: -hmm. grades are suffering um, staying in their dark room staying on their phone and not coming out and you know, knowing that something something was off and recognizing that and she, you know, forcing her to go talk to somebody, forcing her to get on some type of medications to make her feel human again, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people that are struggling every day with a disease or struggling every day with their body image, whatever, I think it's really important for people to recognize and to, to know that there's help out there for that too.
1: That's great, and what I loved what you said, Quinn, is that you just owned it. It sucks. It's not like sugar coated. Hey, everything will be okay. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay for people who are going through whatever just to own that moment and like sit in it and feel it and like this sucks right now. It really does. Yeah, I do have hope you know, and I am going to keep pushing. I am going to keep doing what I need to do to be healthy and growing and get stronger. So thank you for sharing that and just being brutally honest. That's, that's what people want to hear. And it's what they need to hear is that honesty and in you doing that, that really helps other people feel normal. It really does. So thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you both for being on the show today. It was amazing. And I can't tell you how much importance it is in sharing your story and helping people. So Quinn or Tracy or both, if there's anybody who wants to get a hold of you guys after they hear your show, how can they connect with you? Um,
2: you can connect with me on Facebook if they are interested. They can always okay. send me a message. Um, All right. And walk. Yeah.
1: All right. Then I will do that. Well, I'll put that in our show notes when this podcast goes live. So everyone has a chance to get a hold of you because you guys have made an impact already. Like just hearing your story is very inspirational. It is, and it's really going to help people. So thanks so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, I'm so thankful that Tracy and Quinn came on the show today to share their story about Quinn's battle with cystic fibrosis and Tracy's battle of being a parent, going through that, of being a new parent, being your first baby and uh, being dealt that hand very early on and what it was like, like the struggle was real. You know, it was, it was fun hearing Tracy and Quinn kind of play off each other a little bit and they did, They're, they are really funny and they did bring us laughs in different parts of the story, but a lot of it, you know, was pretty intense. You know, a lot of them growing up and um, all the stuff that Tracy and her husband had to go through as parents, dealing with something so new like this and trying to not just raise a first-time baby, but first-time baby with cystic fibrosis and what it was like with all the treatments and, you know, and the constant pounding of the back or the chest to uh, loosen them up so they can breathe and get some of the mucus out. Uh, What it was like early on was quite a struggle for them. And it was great to see as the story evolved, um, as Quinn got older, what it was like for her, her sharing her that experience and the vulnerability of coming on just out of high school, getting ready to go to college, which is absolutely amazing and how exciting that must be for, and nerve-wracking as you heard from Tracy mentioned. Uh, but what a great milestone in her life and what she's going to do in the future. So what I like to do often when I've done in the past is if I have an opportunity, I like to go on the internet, Do a little research on maybe some of the stats about something we talked about. And one of the things I read about the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation is they say in the registry they have more than 30,000 people are living with cystic fibrosis and more than 70,000 people worldwide, which is a lot of people. Uh, They see approximately 1,000 new cases of CF are diagnosed each year. More than 75% of the people with CF are diagnosed by age 2. And the thing that stood out to me, and after hearing Tracy and Quinn talk, and especially Tracy being the mom, is that more than half of the CF population is age 18 or older, which I think is amazing because, you know, you heard the doctor say that they feel like they're going to see a cure for this in her lifetime, and that people are now living longer lives Um, They have better futures, better hope, because early on, if they talked about this disease in the 50s or so, is that you wouldn't expect your child to see elementary age school to make it that far and to see that, you know, half of the population now, 18 or older, it doesn't really cap off on age. So I think that's amazing that there is that hope they talked about that they feel very certain that they're going to see a cure in her lifetime. And how exciting is that? Um, how scary it is to live with it and to know the repercussions can be really serious if not taken care of well and things like that. But the fact that there is hope so close on the horizon and that people are living much longer lives with CF, I think is really great and such a great feeling I'm sure for Tracy and for Quinn to hear those kind of statistics. And I wanted to touch on one of the things that Quinn talked about at the very end when she was kind of recapping her experience at that uh wilderness camp or adventures camp or whatever they called it where she didn't have her phone and she was with all these new people who didn't know anything about her who didn't know that she had cf and did not know she needed all these treatments and machines and all these different things that you know she relies on on a daily basis to help her stay alive and stay healthy and she was nervous because those things make her stand out and to her it made her stand out in a negative way she saw herself as different and what I wanted to talk about today was, is that the things that make us different aren't always a bad thing. The things that make us different make us stand out. The things that are unique about us make us stand out. Because she talked about in her story there, once people found out and she talked about that she had cystic fibrosis and she has to use these machines and treatments, people weren't just curious. They were kind of like geeked out about the whole process and um, thought it very interesting. And so what I want to challenge all of us, whatever you're going through in your life, whatever you're up against, whatever you feel like when you're in a room that makes you different and you think that, uh, I don't know want to really put myself out there, the thing that makes you different is what makes you unique. And two, I want you to own that difference about you and to own that uniqueness about you because when you hide that thing that makes you different about everybody, what you're doing is you're robbing the world, of everything that's unique about you, for all the people that you can make an impact with because you are different. And different is not bad. Different is good because I tell you what, I don't want to be the same as everybody else. I want to be unique. I want to be different. And my differences may not always be the most positive different differences, you know. Um, it could be some of the negative things that I've done and had to go through, but yet I have a chance to make an impact with. And that's the same thing with everybody listening today. Think about your differences. The things that you really don't want people to know about sometimes. The things that make you think that you may be rejected socially with friends in a relationship. And to think, are my differences really that bad? Can I own them? Do they make me unique? And the answer is yes. So if you can take anything away from the story, besides all the amazing hope and encouragement that they offered, Is to take the things that make you different, the things that are hard about your life sometimes, and make that unique about you. And to use that to spread that love and encouragement and hope for people around you in that circle in your life. And I promise, when you start doing that, boy, will it fill your bucket. And you'll see the difference that you can make in people's lives. And that leads me to the last thing. Is that your story matters. I say it every episode, episode after episode after episode. To share your story, even if it's not on this podcast, share it with people in your life, with friends, with family, with coworkers, whatever it is that you're going through, share that with somebody because your story is so, so important and has a chance to make a huge impact in someone else's life. Do not rob the world of that because of your fear that your story may not be as good as someone else's. Well, guys, like always, I wanted to thank you so much for tuning in today and checking out the podcast. And learning a little bit about Tracy and Quinn's life and what it was like to be raised with cystic fibrosis and all the things they went through. We want to hear from you. Please reach out to me at timunwrittenlifepodcast.com. Share your comments about the show. Share some of your story. I'd be happy to read it on the air if it's not something you're comfortable with. Also, check us out on Facebook on our Unwritten Life Podcast group. There's a lot of conversation going on during the week there, and we would love to have you part of the group. And also on Instagram, Unwritten Life Podcast. This is where I share a lot of photos of the people who are on the show. And you can go to unwrittenlifepodcast.com where the show notes are and that's way to contact some of the people that have been on our show before. Like I say on a lot of the shows, this is about you guys. It's about building this community. And this podcast is nothing without you guys. It's just a guy in his basement rambling on and on and sharing stories. But you guys have taken it and given it a heartbeat and make it... So people can really latch onto that and to really feel that hope, hope, hope that's out there for everybody. So guys, we've come to the end of yet another episode. But again, this is not the end of your journey at all. Remember, you matter. You can make a difference. And your story is still unwritten.